Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 456 with Nick Loper. We are talking about side hustles. I think you'll enjoy this chat, even if you are by no means considering any form of entrepreneurship in your life, because he's talking also about the enrichment that this activity can bring to professionals who are keeping their jobs. So you'll learn, one, how side hustles can empower you as a professional, two, how to turn your ideas into low-risk side hustles, and three, when it may just be time to turn a side hustle into your main hustle. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F456. While you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, we hope you'll check out some nifty stuff such as the Gold Nugget email list. Here we provide summary insights and wisdom from the guests. I have noted that in the survey, many people say, Pete, this is so many episodes I can't possibly keep up. That's okay. That is all good. It's a buffet. I don't expect you to eat everything. I expect you to eat the things you like the most. But the gold nugget email list could be a great way to get a sampler tasting of everything and say, ooh, yes, I would like to, to hear a full 40 minutes from that individual. That sounds good. Anyway, that's called the gold nugget summary emails over at awesomeatyourjob.com. You'll get the goods from each guest as it appears, as well as access to the vault of all 456 uh, gold nugget summary tidbits over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Anyway, here's Nick's story. Nick is an author, entrepreneur, and a lifelong student in the game of business. His latest role is as chief side hustler at sidehustlenation.com. He's been making his living online since before it was cool. And along the way, he's picked up a thing or two about small business, marketing, and outsourcing. And he's happy to share that experience with those working hard to make their side hustle dreams a reality. He's the host of the top-rated Side Hustle Show podcast, and where he explores different business ideas each week to help listeners discover the path to multiple income streams. Big thanks to Nick for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Nick. Nick, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm wondering if I'm qualified because I don't know if I've ever been awesome at a job that I've ever had, but, but appreciate the invite, man. Well, I think you're awesome as a podcaster and a reviewer. And uh, so I think you're very qualified. And speaking of qualifying, I love the weird segue. I understand you had some success in your an early job of, of swimming and you went all in with the shaving and everything. Tell us about this. <laughs> That's true. I don't know if this was really necessary for the, uh, you know, district and state level at, at the high school <laughs> swimming. This was not Olympic trials or anything, but was a decent freestyle swimmer back in the day. And what was really fun and interesting about this was being able to continually shave, maybe pun intended, uh, time, mm -hmm. you know, as fast as you thought you could go, hey, this is a dead sprint. And then the next week being able to beat that and the next week being able to beat that. It was really, really kind of eye opening. And the coach was like, You've been dogging it the whole season, man. What's going on? <laughs> well, that that is cool and rewarding. I think that it's really exciting when there is is some sort of a uh, for me at least. There's like a number that's associated with performance, and you do some things, and and you feel different. But then there's also a number reinforcing it, whether it's a revenue figure or what the scale tells you or something. Uh, that just lights me up too. Yeah, it's, it's a very quantifiable sport. And that was one of my dad's points very early on when I started swimming. He's like, look, you're only really ever racing against yourself. You can't control what the guy in the next lane over is going to do. So just try and beat your best time. Yeah. 
It's a good lesson. And uh, another weird segue. You share a lot of good lessons on your Side Hustle Show podcast, and that is a topic of interest for our listeners. So I want you to orient us from the beginning. You know, first, can you define for us precisely what is meant by the term side hustle? And maybe do you know where the term came from? Because I, I see it all the time now. Well, for me, a side hustle is anything that you're doing to earn money outside of traditional employment, outside of your day job. And in previous generations, maybe this was called moonlighting or a second job. But to me, there's a more entrepreneurial connotation than just delivering pizzas or bartending as a second job. There's this, you know, upside potential where it's like, okay, maybe this could be more time leveraged, or maybe this could be a business that grows beyond just uh, time for money. And that is really exciting and empowering to me. The side hustle term itself, I found some etymology that dated it to like the 1950s, but it's really been over the last five or 10 years where it's kind of become part of the the national parlance, I suppose, and and then has increased in popularity. That's right. And I guess I find that interesting because I think the word hustling in, in some communities can refer to, you know, illegal activity. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's very much, um, and at least in my case, comes from an old uh, baseball coach of mine who was like, look, you're going to have bad days at the plate. You're going to have bad days in the field, but hustle never slumps. Like it's the one thing you can control your own effort. And so that's kind of where the term really comes from for me, not like hustling, like I have to scam anybody, but like, look, I'm going to control the effort that I can control in the time that I have. Totally. And you've had a wide variety of side hustlers on your show, and they've got some really fun stories. So I'd love it if you could share with us maybe just a few of the more noteworthy uh, examples of of side hustles you've encountered from your guests. Yeah, there are so many. And a lot of them are kind of in the online business space, like, oh, I built a blog and I sell advertising or I, you know, whatever. But some of them are just like plain old brick and mortar. Like you hang up the call and you're like, well, crap, I could do that. For example, one guy I met, he called this America's Simplest Business, and he's been in business since the early 80s, just picking up uh, trash from parking lots, Where and he'd built this to like a $600,000 a year operation by the time we talked uh, last year, and he'd outsourced the, <laughs> the, trash, the trash pickup by that point, but he called it like getting paid to take a walk. And he says, it's a perfect side hustle because you got to do it early morning or late at night when the cars aren't in the parking lot. And he'd call up uh, property management companies and say, hey, who handles your uh, litter pickup? And the landscapers don't want to do it. And he had all these reasons why it was a cool, um, a cool little business. So that one comes to mind. One of my favorite guests is uh, Rob, the flea market flipper Stevenson out of Orlando, Florida. Just a crazy take on the buy low, sell high business model. I mean, same business model as Walmart, same business model as every uh, you know retail store in, in the history of business. But in his case, looking for really weird random items that you know most people aren't going to give a second look a lot of cases big bulky items that the seller uh, doesn't have room to store or they're kind of afraid of how much it's going to cost to ship he's got uh, relationships with uship.com was the site that he recommended for overland inexpensive cross-country uh, shipping but he had some crazy stories about you know a prosthetic leg for 30 or 40 bucks at the flea market <laughs> and turning it around for a grand the next day on ebay like how do you know what this stuff you know and he's like you know just walking around looking at what uh, the comps have gone for on ebay like a husqvarna uh, concrete polisher just whatever random stuff he can find and i asked him like are you afraid of the deals drying up because he's quit his job he's doing this full-time six-figure business like what happens if you don't find the next 
concrete polisher or the next, an exercise bike, like for physical therapy offices. Like what happens if you don't find that deal? And he's like, look, my limit is not the deals. My limit is like the time and the inventory storage. So I think he ended up getting a warehouse to deal with some of the inventory storage or a storage unit or something. So that one is super fun, kind of in the product space. One um, in the online world that was really eye-opening to me was a dropshipping example. So dropshipping is e-commerce, but you don't touch the inventory. You set up relationships with uh, suppliers or distributors, and they ship the product to the customer on your behalf. And this guy that I talked to was selling these giant commercial bounce houses. And he'd gone through a very specific product research process where he's like, I need the product to be you know, over $500. I need to, to get uh, X amount of searches in Google every month. I need it to be not something that's readily available at Walmart or even Amazon. And so he was selling these like multi-thousand dollar giant vinyl bounce houses. And he said he sold over $300,000 worth of them in his first year, driving traffic uh, primarily through AdWords, but now like pay-per-click advertising, but now investing more into SEO. And so it was like, that's crazy. And like never had to touch the inventory himself. That is wild. And I didn't even know that there were concrete polishers. And I'm wondering if my concrete's a little lackluster, if, uh, if I can polish it after the fact, or is it more so in an earlier stage of concrete production that it could be polished. Yeah, I'm, I'm not in that industry. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, you made me feel inadequate about my concrete. <laughs> it's, it doesn't shine <laughs> the way it probably used to when uh, this uh, home was built many years ago. Well, so that is wild. And, and so I want to get your take then. Whew. So I guess, of course, of all the benefits to be gleaned from side hustling, I mean, one is, you know, hey, money. Two is, I guess, stories or, or exercise or fun. Uh, but I guess I'm thinking for folks who do not aspire for their, their side hustle to, to go full time, uh, what do you, does it enrich the experience of, of the worker at work having a side hustle going? I think it definitely made me a better employee because in my corporate world, in my corporate life, I was like at the bottom rung of this Fortune 50 company where if I didn't show up, it would make zero meaningful impact to, to this business. Like it was well, like, that doesn't feel good. You yeah. hit your numbers, you don't hit your numbers. Like it's not a blip on the radar versus when I come home nights and weekends working on my side business, which was a footwear comparison shopping website at the time that would make uh, affiliate commissions from Zappos and Amazon and these other um, online shoe stores. If I spent the weekend hustling and making a ton of new ads and updating the inventory, I could see the, the benefits of doing that to my bottom line for the rest of that week, the rest of that month versus at my day job. It was like, I was going to get paid the same, whether or not I worked really hard or didn't. It was a weird, kind of a weird yeah. relationship, but it was like the movie office space <laughs> yeah. being the CEO on the side kind of helped me see the bigger picture at work too. And especially because in my job, I was interfacing with um, car dealers um, as a manufacturer's rep for Ford. And so some of these dealers had been in business for generations. Some of them had their charter signed by Henry Ford. And, you know, to come in at, as in early twenties and, you know, tell these guys how to do their business, it was a weird um, kind of place to be in. But I was like, I kind of am speaking your language a little bit because, you know, I have this business experience on the side. Yeah, that is handy. So, so you got some, some global perspective in, in terms of, you know, how the business is operating, maybe a bit more strategically. You're able to form better connections with some of the folks here you're reaching out to. And, and how about some of the others, like, like your guests, if they shared ha some, 
either skills they've acquired that uh, were serving them their, at their day jobs as well? So probably the thing that draws most people to side hustling is the extra income component. And when you're starting out, I kind of frame it as a side hustle snowball, kind of a reverse Dave Ramsey type of deal, where it's like I'm, I've itemized out my expenses, smallest to largest. And then I try and like line item, erase them with non-job income streams. Maybe that's dividend investing. Maybe that's a little bit of freelancing over here. Like, what can I erase? Especially if I have an, an annoying expense, like, oh my gosh, my car insurance, it just bothers me that I have to pay this. I want to cross it off, make that free. I think it's kind of a fun way to build it up. But like you mentioned, building skills, working on something that's meaningful, that's challenging, that's impactful, that's creative, all of that stuff really plays into, you know, what is a benefit of doing a side hustle work. On top of that, really empowering to earn your first income outside of your day job and to say like, oh, I'm worth more than what it says on my business card. Like I have value in a marketplace outside of my own paycheck. So I know for my wife, that was really empowering and kind of a big uh, confidence boost for her. But let me flip it around. Like what drew you to starting the podcast on the side and like what benefits have you seen, if any, for work? Oh, sure thing. Well, in a way I was sort of already, you know, self-employed doing my thing. And I thought the podcast would be cool in terms of, of generating, you know, leads for, you know, training services and, and whatnot. And so it's done a little bit of that, but but it's really kind of gone in, in new directions. I think that's what's been fun is is the the surprises in terms of I did not even know, you know, what I was really getting into, but then it sort of sparks all kinds of cool things like I'm talking to fascinating people like yourself. And then I am, I'm learning all sorts of things from those people, you know, that as we're chatting in terms of, you know, real skills uh, as they're sharing what they know and then sort of developing some, some expertise. Cause I've been kind of clueless sort of when it comes to marketing, I think. And now I'm getting a bit more sophisticated in terms of. I can more readily, I think, call out. It's like, that's absolutely not worth it at all. <laughs> I'm going to pass on well, that. Well, you've clearly done something right. Like, I'm curious, what do you think attributes to the growth of the show? Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, I, I think that, well, I was going to ask you about uh, idea validation as well for side hustles. But I think I started a number of businesses that didn't really produce revenue, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I, you think, know, I think we've all been there. I've had some folks uh, say, oh you, oh, you shut down because you, you weren't profitable. It's like, no, no. It's not that the profit was zero. In fact, that was negative. It's that the <laughs> revenue was zero. And so even partnering with brilliant people, you know, all, all the right credentials with the terms of like, you know, fancy consultants, fancy business school degrees, brilliant uh, intellects. And we had an idea and I think it had a couple of particular, you know, one was called Launch Point and that was to prep uh, folks uh, post high school, pre-college in that little interim summer. It's like, hey, let's give you a bunch of skills you need to uh, excel in college and not drop out. <laughs> and it was interesting that uh, folks weren't really biting on that uh, a whole lot. And later I learned that even you know, some prominent marketers have tried that concept and, and not had as much luck. Another one was low-cost uh, online math tutoring using workers who are smart uh, are in the developing world and can uh, you know have a great living wage at a, a smaller price point. Okay. I thought, this could be really cool. But then, you know, it seemed like those who were low-income already had sort of free tutoring services. And those who are high-income wanted the very finest and had no <laughs> sure, qualms sure. paying 50, 60 bucks an hour for a tutor for their folks. So, I think the difference here was uh, for the success of this show was that I just refused. I just got fed up. It's like, I am not going to build something. 
people don't want, even if I'm super excited about it and think they should want it, I'm just not going to do it. So I went a little bit, I wouldn't say overboard, but I spent some real time in terms of, I used three different quick survey tools to to assess to what extent do people have an interest in listening to uh, a podcast about, you know, skill sharpening insights. Okay. And uh, to what extent is that kind of similar to some shows, but also unique? And when I saw that those those numbers looked really compelling, I said, okay, folks genuinely want this. It's not just, you know, something I think would be fun, but I, I do. I think it's fun. And and so I, I was raring to go. And I think that made the difference. It's like folks are fundamentally interested in this concept. And I see it even with my overcast advertising, if you've ever done that, is that my taps and my clicks and my subscription rate amongst other podcasts that are advertising on the platform are like way higher than what they project. So it's like, okay, this is a resonant concept anywhere you slice. Oh, you got me going, Nick. Well, since we're flipping tables back and forth, I want to get your take. When it comes to a side hustle, I think it's it's very easy for folks to get super excited about something they're into, you know, fill in the blanks, artisanal candles <laughs> or something. And then they, they maybe want to go big and say, this has got to be huge. How do you recommend mitigating risk and, and validating ideas before you lose all your money? <laughs> sure. Well, that, that's the beauty of side hustles. Almost by definition, it's got to be low risk because it's on the side from your day job. 99% of the people I talk to, it's all bootstrap, self-funded businesses. You're not taking in outside investment capital or anything like mm -hmm. that. So it's like, what can you get off the ground? How can you prove that the model quickly, inexpensively, and, and see what's going to work? The biggest risk, especially from people who are still working a job, especially a job that they love, is like, what if my boss finds out? What is my employer going to think about this? Like, that's the one of the bigger issues that, that tends to come up. Although with the, the data, I think it's like, you know, half of all millennials have some sort of side hustle. 44 million Americans overall have some sort of side hustle. It's becoming more and more commonplace where it's like, okay, look, your employer doesn't own 24 hours of your time, energy, and attention. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, look, they're paying you for these eight hours. And after that, you know, whether you run a marathon or run a business, like what business is it of theirs? But on the idea validation side, the quickest thing that I found is like to actually ask somebody to buy. And we've seen this, you know, in the physical product world, it's like, okay, I'm going to make a small bet on inventory upfront rather than like, I'm going to buy a warehouse or I'm going to buy a container shipment from China. Like, okay, how can I validate this, you know, on the cheap, on the kind of audience building side, you know, the blogging, podcasting, YouTube side of the world. It's kind of like what content is already out there that people are paying attention to. Can you tell if these people have been at it for a while? Does it look like they're making money or does it look like this is just a hobby for them? You can kind of get a gauge based on some um, some statistics, similarweb.com might help you kind of mm -hmm. gauge some traffic, tubebuddy.com, like for YouTube can kind of give you a gauge, although YouTube is pretty public about like, this person has 7 million views. They want to pump that person up too for social proof. And then on the service side, it really is just like, you know, here's what I can do for you. Here's the price. Would you buy it? The uh, a friend of mine hosts these urban hiking tours in, in San Francisco, and she saw you know, walking tours and Segway tours and bike tours and bus tours. And she's like, well, shoot, I'll throw my hat in the ring. How about a, a hiking tour? You know, she loved going hiking on all these, you know, different trails within the city limits and, you know, found a handful of people who are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Those people seeded her profile on TripAdvisor and some other sites with the initial reviews. And she started to get some traffic organically after that. But 
you know, she had paying customers from day one. Yes, absolutely. And I think the key is we say, would you buy it? It's not like you're speaking in a theoretical, you know, context. It's like, no, here and now, are you going to part with your cash, you know, for, for what I got? Cause, cause there could be a world of difference between, you know, survey hypotheticals and uh, here we are trying to exchange. Right. Well, so then that's great. And, and I think that may take a bit of, of courage for some who maybe are reluctant to engage in, in some of the sales conversations. Have you encountered that? And do you have any pro tips for folks who are taking those first steps into selling? It is an awkward thing or can be an awkward thing to stick your neck out in a way and, and ask for money and have confidence in the value that you're going to provide. But it gets easier over time. And you kind of recognize that nobody is awesome at it right out of the gate and it gets more comfortable. Like I've sold some advertising on certain sites and you know it's nice to be able to say like, here's the rates, here's the PayPal link, go. If you want this, I'll plug it in for you right away. Otherwise, hey, no hard feelings, you know? Um, so it can be as simple as that. And one of the, like when I, I used to sell um, house painting and the clothes was always like, what do you think? It was like, it was like the, the lamest clothes ever instead of like, okay, my truck's parked out front. I'm going to leave in 10 minutes. It's this price. You know, I don't know. It's kind of a, a low, a casual way to, to have a conversation. Like, look, we've been talking for an hour. We've walked all around your house. This is what you told me you wanted. Here's the price. What do you think? Yeah. All right. There you have it. It's just so simple. And I like that as I'm really putting myself in that moment uh, and thinking about a painter and, and what do you think uh, is, it also feels a lot less cheesy than, uh, I don't know, you might encounter any number of pieces of advice associated with um so when can i schedule you for your you know dream painting or, or something it's like right, oh, that right. feels a little bit cheesy and that's pretty presumptuous i didn't say that yeah <laughs> that when, when can that. i get you on my calendar when's good for you i got the uh -huh. first week of june open <laughs> so what do you think all right just that simple that's cool uh, well, I, I want to talk a little bit about the time element. So you mentioned that you, you got a number of hours outside of the, the eight-ish that you're, you're doing work at your day job. And uh, you've got some expertise when it comes to leveraging your time uh, with uh, virtual assistants. Can you tell us a little bit about this and, and how that might be an effective way to uh, get more hustling on the side with uh, a limited number of hours? This is one way to kind of add some leverage to your day in that you don't have to be the one doing all the work. I think in the early days, it probably makes sense for you to be doing it, provided it's something that you know how or could reasonably learn how to do. My first hire was like a web development team. So it's like, if I learned how to do it myself, that probably still wouldn't exist. So there's certain cases where it's like, look, I just got to hire an outside expert. But there's other cases where it's like, okay, I've been doing this myself. I have a process in place. But it's not rocket science. I don't need to be doing it myself. I could bring on some help to do that. And that's kind of really where I've had the most success in hiring outside help is, you know, plugging people into a specific role or task where it's getting hours of work off of my plate in exchange for just a little bit of upfront training and saying, here's the process. Can you follow this recipe? And providing feedback and training, coaching, of course, but ultimately saying this is your responsibility now. And so you've taken a look at a lot of services that uh, provide this. H have you found some that you are 
pretty reliably high quality and, and you dig. I have a, a dedicated service for podcast editing that's called Podcast Fast Track. I've got a, a website maintenance service. Oh my, I call it, consider it kind of like website insurance at this point, where it's like if something breaks or if I want to change something, you know, they're kind of on call 24 hours a day and just, you know, send them a note, hey, can you move this thing? Because I've gone down the rabbit hole of trying to tweak things myself and hitting refresh and being like, oh no, I got the white screen of death and WordPress. It's bad news. Um, that's called ZenWP is the service I use over there. They've been really good. But it's really kind of, itemizing out where your time is going and saying, okay, could somebody else do this as well or better than me? And, or is my time better spent elsewhere? And that's kind of how I've gone about the delegation phase. And I'm still learning. We just got off a call this afternoon about like, dude, you really need to hire like the executive assistant, right-hand person type of role. And here's why, and here's how to do it. So that's probably next on my plate. Oh, cool. Cool. And so then I'm thinking if folks are, they're eager, they're hungry, and they say, you know what, side hustles sound really cool. You know, I've got a number of ideas. What do you recommend might be some of the, the very first steps? And if you, you don't have a whole lot of, a whole lot of extra time or money, uh, but you, you want to, you know, get a taste, uh, what are some of the, the starting tidbits you'd recommend? Starting points. If you're in the idea searching phase, I can encourage you to hit up sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's my constantly updated laundry list of part-time ways to make extra money that uh, that you can start today. No opt-in required over there. If you're the person that has a handful of ideas and you're trying to debate, well, which should I take action on? Which would be most worthwhile to pursue? You can create kind of a weighted decision matrix with a handful of questions that you know might be pertinent, like how excited am I about this? What's it going to cost to start up? What's the profit potential long-term? Is this scalable or could I eventually remove myself from the day-to-day -day operation? You can come up with eight or 10 different questions kind of along those lines, like projecting out 12 months or 24 months and kind of assign a number score to each of those and see what the little matrix spits out. And you might find, well, crap, that's not the one I really want to work on. It's like, well, <laughs> go with your gut in that case. So I've, I've gone through that exercise a handful of different times and you know, your gut will tell you if the, if the numbers lie. I've done that exact thing. Boy, I don't remember exactly the context, but I was in college and I had to figure out, okay, I got a summer options, you know, there's some travel, there's some trips. And then I thought about, okay, what are my criteria? What am I going to score them at? And then as I really just thought, it just forcing myself to think through them just made me realize I don't think that would be that much fun. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Like, how did this even get to be a finalist in the first place? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I love that. It's like you do the numbers, but you're, you're by no means a slave to them. It's just the process itself can be rather informative. And that's the last thing you need is a second job that you hate. So I think that's a really important piece of this, especially if you're in the position of like, hey, works okay, works good. I'm not struggling to make rent next month. Like, okay, then don't start a side hustle doing something that compromises your, your enjoyment. Yeah. I'm with you. And, and let's say you're, you're a little bit farther down the track. You're like, holy smokes. It looks like, uh, people are really into this, this side hustle. Maybe it should be my, my full hustle. Are there any sort of telltale signs or indicators that it might be a, a nice time to jump? Telltale signs, probably a couple. The first is the track record of revenue. So a lot of people are out to replace their day job salary, which is awesome. But kind of hard to do on a part-time basis. If you think about it, like, man, you built something that's legitimately time leveraged if, if you manage to do that. 
probably the more important metric is to cover your expenses. Like, does this cover my monthly fixed costs? If so, fantastic, especially given an extra 40, 50 hours a week to dedicate to it. Like, look at that upside, right? Like, if I've been able to get it here part-time, think about what I'll be able to do when I go full-time. The second thing is, like, if you can't stop thinking about it, if you only had more time, like, if you're super energized and energetic about it, and it's like, okay, now is the time to make the leap. Some friends of ours gave the example of like, you know, they were, they were quitting their job to pursue some business in like electronic motorcycles or something. And they're like, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? I'll go get another job. Like, it's okay. And so it's kind of the, uh, you know, think of the downside risk, usually not as life-threatening or as, as damaging as we probably make it out to be. Yeah. I hear that. It's like worst case scenario, I burned through my savings and I had uh, one or two or three years of fun <laughs> with these motorcycles and we can resume. So that's good. And uh, maybe this is a nitty gritty question, but uh, I know some when they're considering making a leap, health insurance in particular is a sticking point. Any pro tips on that front? A lot of my friends in the uh, personal finance space use a health sharing service it usually has a Christian component to it. Like you got to swear on the Bible to uphold Christian values. Liberty Health Share is one that is probably less Bible thumping than uh, MediShare, which is the other popular one. But those two have significantly lower costs than going on the national healthcare exchanges. The risk is it's not insurance and they won't tell you that it's insurance. And that's how they get around the, the federal mandate loopholes. The, um, but the cost savings are attractive enough that a lot of people are putting their trust and faith in those. It's sure thing. And I guess it, so it's not insurance, but I mean, at the end of the day, they pay your hospital bills, right? So it, it effectively, yes. So they pay your claims. The question is just like, I'm curious, like, okay, how big is your risk pool? If somebody gets terminal cancer, like, what do you, gonna what are you gonna cover like it's a it's a weird thing where it's a little bit scary to me i still have uh, health coverage through my wife who works full-time so it's uh you know we look at it as a team sport but if you know we were ever if she was ever to leave that job you know we would probably just go with one of the off-the-shelf plans and just chalk that up as a crazy expensive <laughs> monthly monthly expense yeah, I hear you, but I guess now I'm thinking, you got my wheels turning, just like you, you said, hey, what's the worst that hap can happen? I guess maybe it's like, you got to buy real insurance <laughs> over the long term. Yeah. Yeah, which is, it's a significant number to add to your line item budget. Um, yeah. Totally. For our family, the last I looked, it was probably 1200 bucks a month minimum for pretty crappy coverage. Mm -hmm. Such is the American challenge these days. <laughs> <laughs> Your Canadian listeners are like, what are they talking about? Uh -huh. What? What's that a boot? <laughs> <laughs> we love our Canadian listeners. Thank you. Well, tell me any other things you want to make sure to mention before we hear a few of your favorite things. The biggest thing for me is to think of your side hustle as an experiment, kind of put on your scientist hat and say, okay, my hypothesis is this is going to work, but if it doesn't, that's not the end of my experiment. Like I'm going to go pivot back to, to something else, taking what I learned from that and move on to the next thing. So in that way, like what I've really found is that failure is inevitable in a lot of cases. Like you're, you're probably not going to hit a home run in your first at bat. But on the other hand, it's also impossible because you, you take something away from every experience. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The one that I probably point to is Thomas Edison's, we don't know, a millionth of 1% about anything. 
Yeah, I find that comforting, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how about a favorite book? A favorite book for me is uh, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It's about... Oh, yeah, we had him on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's so, so you know all about it. It's about providing value first, being helpful first, and that really kind of solidified a mindset shift for me was like, you know, I got into the business for the noble purpose of like, how do I make extra money? And it was like, well, money follows value. Like, how can you be of service to others? That was an important read for me. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? How about Text Expander? Oh, yeah. Actually, I've got a ton of these. Text Expander is awesome for like, you know, these keyboard uh, shortcuts and snippets. And LastPass is something that probably couldn't live without. And a favorite habit? Go-to habit is the practice of naming your top three priorities for tomorrow the night before. So when you wake up, you know exactly what to work on and in what order. So you don't have this, you know, 45 minute ramp up period of like, well, what should I do today? Let's see what's going on on Facebook. It's like, no, yesterday, Nick said, this is what's important. Let's go. All right. And is there a particular nugget you share that uh, seems to resonate with folks? They quote it back to you a lot. The Side Hustle Show soundbite I probably refer to most often is from Ryan Finley way back in episode 72, when he said, the best opportunities aren't visible until you're already in motion. And when he said that, and this was probably 2014, I was like, yeah, it sounds kind of hippie. But over the years, I've really recognized that to be so, so true. It's the you know, once you get started, it's so much easier to stay started. And the conversations that you have and the ideas that come up as you're working, as you're doing it, like you never would have come to you had you just still been sitting on the sidelines. So the best opportunities aren't visible until you're already in motion. So that's my biggest challenge, like getting people off the sidelines and into the game. Because once you do, it's like the, you could, you could see the matrix, you know, all the lights uh, go off. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where'd you point them? SideHustleNation.com is the home base. We mentioned SideHustleNation.com slash ideas as a good place to start. And uh, just Nick at SideHustleNation.com is email. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Maybe you could consider this as the challenge is to think of the skills and interests and, and areas of expertise that you already have and see how that might apply to a side hustle. So for example, in, on my resume in the past, I was a ski instructor. So I could say, well, what if I did, you know, private ski lessons? I was working um, at a cashier at a restaurant. I was handling money. Like maybe I could do bookkeeping for certain businesses. Not every job or not every, you know, thing on your resume is going to naturally translate to, you know, a freelance service, but I think you can get the creative juices flowing with, okay, what inventory of my existing skills has demand in the market? And that's probably a good place to start for looking at a potential side hustle. Well, Nick, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you tons of luck as you're side hustling and equipping others to do the same. So keep it up. Thanks for having me. I really liked Nick's take on how the side hustle is, thinks of it as an experiment. And from every experience there, you take away something. And sometimes that something is the ability to think more strategically, put yourself in the customer's shoes, the, the CEO or owner of an organization that you're serving, because you are that person in your side hustle. So I thought that was pretty handy, as well as how he removed a lot of the fear associated with a sale or a request. You just sort of lay it out. Okay, this is what we're looking at. And then, so, what do you think? Nothing to be afraid of. That's not pushy. That's not aggressive. That's not manipulative. That's, hey, this is what we got. What do you think? 
I like that. That sort of removed some of my own uh, little tidbits of anxiety and trepidation that are, are still there when I, I make an ask or do some marketing and sales type things. But I'm getting better. And I hope you are too. Again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F456. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's a fun guy. His name is Gret Glier, and he is just really cool and kind. And he is behind the organization Donorcy, and he is talking about fundraising and storytelling and how you can be extra persuasive in those environments uh, in a really cool context of, of doing good that his organization is up to. So hope you catch you there. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.